Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Dang I Talk Too Much. This is the episode. This. Dang my stutter. This is the episode where we're trying to understand the backrooms, because I do not know much about it apart from it's a deep rabbit hole to get into. But. We're gonna try to understand the lore of this game, because we got this episode. But we're gonna start from the beginning. We believe in putting others. Okay, so what the hell is there? Basically, it's a water bottle that collides with. I'm gonna sit here and try to understand the backrooms. But before we get into the video, I am going to sit here and do a sound test, just real fast. Just so we can test if it even sounds good. Let's see here and try to understand the backrooms. But before we get into the video, I am going to sit here and do a sound test. I do need to get chat off the screen as well. I actually need to refresh chat. That's what I need to do. Hoping that it refreshes up there. There we go, there we go, we got a clean chat, everything. But, we're gonna try to understand the backrooms, and yeah, let's get into this. Hello internet, welcome to- We are watching Matt Pat's videos, just to, just to clarify. Well. Film Theory, a show that's coming to you live from the back rooms. Why? Because I have no idea how to get out of here. Internet speed's good, though, and the moist carpet water is, uh... It's not the best I've ever had, but, you know, it'll do. Wait, what was that noise? For all of you who are uninitiated, the monotone misery that is the back rooms began back in 2019 when this image was posted to a 4chan board dedicated to unsettling images. Just an ugly series of rooms, right? No big deal. Well, it came packaged with the following text. Quote, if you're not careful and you no-clip out of reality in the wrong areas, you'll end up in the back rooms, where it's nothing but the stink of old, moist carpet, the madness of mono-yellow, the endless background noise of fluorescent lights at maximum humbug and approximately 600 million square miles of randomly segmented empty rooms to be trapped in. God save you if you hear something wandering around nearby, because it sure heard you. This post immediately got under people's skin. That endless series of mild annoyances that make you feel squeaky and uncomfortable. Slightly wet socks, a faint electric buzz, harsh lighting, ugly wallpaper. In short, it is mundane horror. And okay, so for what I have seen of the backrooms, you're pretty much put into this office, old weird office style looking room. It's really off-putting. You got yellow walls with weird patterns on them and it's it's just disturbing and it's endless because there's levels upon levels upon levels of different rooms you can be stuck in from from what i understand anyway it's weird it's very very weird um but i think it's also quite interesting because i've gone into a rabbit hole and stuff like this before like, I did it whenever, I did it with Slenderman, I went deep down into Slenderman as well, into, I just kept going through videos upon videos upon videos, and I kind of just got to understand the lore. So what I want to do with the backrooms. 
massive monotony that slowly wears you down, mentally and physically. That miserable setting inspired lots of online artists to write their own independent creepypastas, even creating a short video game where you explore the space. But here in 2022, the Backrooms has suddenly exploded in popularity thanks to a new series by VFX artist Kane Pixels, who's taken the basic concept and started to build a full-on world around it. And you know what that means! LORE! Kane's first Backrooms short film takes place in, uh, well, <laughs> already we hit a bit of a snag. The slate says July 4th, 1990-something, but the description of the video actually has September 23rd, 1996. Anyway, this is probably just because it was the first video in the series. Dates become much clearer as the world gets more and more developed. Things start off instantly when a cameraman, fittingly enough named Kane, tries to set up a wide shot and immediately falls through the ground. Literally no clipping through reality, only to wind up in the dank and deserted world full of humming fluorescent lights, retro carpeting, yellow walls, endless corridors, and monsters that, at least at first glance, remind me of walking tripods. Our cameraman wanders around trying to find an escape. Along the way, he finds some interesting landmarks hidden amongst the endless walls, but ultimately he's caught and presumably killed by the weird fungi monster? It's short, it's simple, it's effective. Since the massive success of that first Backrooms video, Kane has been busy expanding the world with other shorts like The Third Test, First Contact, and Missing Persons, as well as making the accompanying Collateral.mov and March 11th, 1990 Archive.tar, which are both hidden in the descriptions of the various videos. From all of them, we ultimately learned that the Backrooms was an experiment designed by a company named Async to solve space issues, providing near-limitless room for both storage and housing in an effort shrinking world. Where it all went wrong though remains to be seen. But what I want to focus on today isn't the where and the why, but rather the how. How to survive. In the fourth video of the main series, we see that since accessing the back rooms in 1989, missing persons reports have been now. skyrocketing as more and more people fall out of reality never to return. Did they say so 96 and 91, but now we're in 89. Huh? How do we get to 89? I missed something. Oh, we're gonna... Fungi Monster? It's short, it's simple, it's effective. Since the massive success of that first Backrooms video, Kane has been busy expanding the world with other shorts like The Third Test, First Contact, and Missing Persons, as well as making the accompanying Collateral.mov and March 11th, 1990 Archive.tar, which are both hidden in the descriptions of the various videos. From all of them, we ultimately learned that the Backrooms was an experiment designed by a company named Async to solve space issues, providing near-limitless room for both storage and housing in an ever-shrinking world. Where it all went wrong, though, remains to be seen. But what I want to focus on today isn't the where and the why, but rather the how. How to survive. In the fourth video of the main series, we see that since accessing the back rooms in 1989, missing persons reports have been skyrocketing, as more and more people fall okay, out of reality never to return. Now, so, so if that were you, what do you do? How do you navigate a seemingly endless maze with limited resources long enough to potentially figure out this mysterious world? How do you avoid an unknown monster that roams the halls. What mistakes do we see Kane make in his exploration of the back rooms, and what could we do better? Pay attention, friends, because today I have the definitive list of six tactics that might just save your life the next time you no-clip out of reality. So this is how to survive the back rooms. I am using my PlayStation, by the way, for YouTube. Um, I thought it would work better. Um... 
reality into an ugly yellow nightmare. In Collateral.mov, we learned that in 1989, tests by the Async Foundation caused a massive earthquake that took place in the Santa Cruz Mountains. So, is the facility in the mountains? Are you at the top of a mountain and need to go down? Are you under the mountain and you need to go up? Are you in the upside down and you need to get un-upside downed? It's unclear at best. All we know is that in one moment we were filming with friends and in the next we're here. So once you land in the back rooms, the first thing that you need to do is take the advice of the US Forest Service, which suggests that when you get lost in the woods or a cave, you do not move at all unless you have a specific reason to take a step. Basically, you sit down, you don't panic, you assess the situation and the tools that you have at your disposal, and you stay where you are. You ended up at this location for a reason. Maybe this is an entry point for other people, and someone else will no-clip in. Maybe people will wind up looking for you, and by moving, you throw off their tracking. In short, by panicking, running, and moving forward without a clear plan of attack, you are only succeeding in getting yourself more and more lost. Eventually, though, you will need to move. And this was Kane's first mistake. He had no plan. He just wandered aimlessly and headed towards whatever looked interesting. This meant that, when he started getting chased by the back rooms as monster, he had no idea of his surroundings and wound up meeting a dead end. Figuratively. Or, I, I guess it would be literal. Huh. Anyway, proper grammar aside, we're in a repetitive maze, we're looking for an exit, and we need a- Repetitive maze, looking for exit. Way to track our movement. Way to track a movement. So the backgrounds is just an endless maze that you're stuck in, and they want you to sit there. Okay. And for that, we need to use a maze-solving algorithm, an automated strategic way for solving the maze with no prior knowledge of it. Our first strategy should be using the wall follower technique, also known as the right-hand rule. This is one that I think a lot of people have heard of, but maybe don't understand the actual mechanics of. Basically, it's a tried-and-true maze-escaping method that involves running your right hand along a wall while you navigate the maze. You see, mazes in their simplest... Shop the widest selection of back-to-school shoes at Dick's. With the hottest brands like Nike, Jordan, On, Hope... And we also have ads, which is fantastic. are just shapes that you're trapped inside. So you, as the maze solver, need to find the outermost wall and the hole so that's presumably in it. Many mazes are what's known right, as simply connected, right i.e. all the walls are connected together to the maze's outer boundary. As such, if you were to unwind the maze, it basically amounts to one big circle with an entrance hole and an exit hole. So by keeping your hand locked to one wall and following it all the way through, you follow the outline of that circular path and you either find the exit, congratulations, you survive, or you wind wind up looping back to where you first started. Well, that's certainly not ideal, it is helpful. Because it tells us that the maze isn't simply constructed, but rather it's what's known as a disjoint maze. One where the walls aren't always connected to the outer boundary. In the video First Contact, we actually get confirmation that this is what we're dealing with with the back rooms. We see a map that confirms that the back rooms is a disjoint maze. Notice that there are multiple chunks of wall here that don't seem to connect to the outside line. But just because we're in a more complicated maze doesn't mean that we're out of options.
rooms. First and foremost, if Kane was able to bring his camera with him into the back rooms, then his other belongings have no clipped with him as well. Specifically, things on his body like keys and clothes. And this immediately puts us at a huge advantage. If you have something like keys or a belt, you should immediately mark your starting location on the wall. And then run those keys or belts or whatever against the wall to leave indentations or markings. You can scuff the walls with your shoes. You can peel the wallpaper. You can pull a Hansel and Gretel and rip pieces of your clothing off to use as breadcrumbs. You can write arrows and notes to yourself on the walls, which we know can be done since there are markings throughout the maze left by other people. This way, when our right-hand method results in us doubling back to where we began, we have a clear indication of which walls we followed and which ones we didn't. And if the walls do happen to be somehow supernatural and can't be marked by you, then the ceiling tiles are another option here. You see, the ceilings of the back rooms appear to be a specific type known as a drop ceiling, or suspended ceiling, which is common in office environments where lightweight foam panels hang a few inches below the main structural ceiling, hiding things like wires and support beams. By throwing a shoe to break or knock down tiles, you're able to mark your progress in all the areas that you've been. Bit by bit, yeah, you smart. eliminate the hallways that you've tracked and systematically work your way to the outer edges of the maze. One other strategy to help with this in a disjoint maze setup like the back rooms is the pledge algorithm. Here, you travel in a set direction. Let's say you walk forward until you hit an obstacle. From there, you put your right hand on the wall and you start walking around the obstacle, counting the angles that you're turning. Clockwise turns are positive, counterclockwise turns are negative. Once you start facing the original what? direction that you're meant to move again, and the sum of your turns is zero, you leave the obstacle and you continue moving in your original direction. This ultimately gets you off the disjoints faster, leading you to the outer wall of the maze and eventually to the exit. Right now, all you seasoned back rumors are probably laughing at me and saying, silly Matt Pat, the back rooms are an endless void of death and despair that'll cause you to slowly lose your mind. To which I say, joke's on you, I lost my mind years ago. I'm not gonna let a funky smell and series of yellow rooms defeat me. Plus, I'm not convinced that this thing is actually infinite or unpredictable. Like I said, in this new Kane Pixel series, we see a map of the place. We also see async employees able to walk through the back rooms using a long red line, presumably as a way to lead them back to the entrance door. So all of that is just trying our best to find an exit, but there's still one more important variable here that we have to consider. The monster that's looking to rip our body in half to use as human nunchucks. And this is again where a systematic approach to the maze will be our first line of defense. The last thing that we want is to wind up in a dead end. And the best thing that we can do to avoid that is to use the confusing layout to our advantage. Ideally, we're able to lead this monster to a disjoint, a section of the maze that we already know loops back around on itself. This gives us two simultaneous benefits. First and most importantly, we don't get lost while still allowing us to use the narrow hallways and looping structure to escape the sight lines of the monster. Instead of taking a straight path where the creature can easily track and follow us, you instead make tight turns in an effort to make yourself disappear behind a series of walls as quickly as possible. This sequence of repeated doors that Kane has chased through provides an excellent example. By dodging and weaving instead of taking a straight path, he should be able to make himself disappear fairly quickly. The other benefit of using a big disjoint to escape this thing, though, is that we can then try to loop back around behind the monster to follow it. Obviously, your first priority is going to be avoiding this thing until you have a better sense of what it is and what it can do, but by leading it to a chunk of maze that you know will allow you to double back around it, you'll be able to sneakily gather information much more quickly. And who knows, these things presumably know the layout of the maze, so by following them, they may be able to provide another resource for finding the way out. I suppose you could try to fight it, or try to trap it with a rope, or drag it into a null zone, which you wouldn't even know about. But honestly, is confronting this thing actually going to help you survive? Probably not. Focus on escape and defense as your first priority. Once all that's settled, you've created a system that actually works, you've learned that the walls don't magically change every 30 minutes, start grabbing whatever you can find. In the back rooms video, Kane blatantly ignores a lot of potentially 
useful supplies. For instance, that ladder right there that's used to get into the crawl space, grab it and carry it around. Even better, I'm try to use it to get into the ceiling grid. Remember what I said about suspended ceilings? <laughs> that it hangs below what the real top of the room is? Well, often, walls only go as high as the dropped ceiling height. As such, once you're in the ceiling, this you're not only hidden from the ground-based monsters, but you also have a wide-open path to the outer edge of the maze, unobstructed by any walls. Heck, you might even be able to find some electrical wires from the fluorescent lights that you can then follow, which again, should presumably be leading you out of the facility. Also, if you come across some rope in a dumpster, you don't walk past it. You check out what's inside the dumpster, and you take the rope. You take what the world gives you because you might not ever come across it again. The same goes for any chair legs that could be used for self-defense, or heck, something inside of the filing cabinets that you walk past. Remember, you are stuck in a maze. Everything can have multiple uses. For instance, when Kane's walking up the fire escape, his camera catches a glimpse of a hole in the ceiling that's created by an air duct. Air ducts, as you can probably guess, tend to lead to the outside of buildings. So again, having that ladder hey, or rope might have helped him to investigate that. that. When he comes across a cavernous section of the back rooms, those same items could have helped him get across the chasm to the other side. If he had a ladder, he could have dropped down into the apartment area that we see here, allowing him to more efficiently look for food and water. Sure, nothing might come of any of these options, but again, it's more likely to work than just wandering around aimlessly surrounded by repetitive yellow wallpaper. Last, but certainly not least, don't take any one-way exits unless you absolutely have to. While running away from the monster, Kane ends up sprinting deep into the catacombs only to find a hole that he jumps down into. It was the right decision in the moment because he was being chased, but had he just found the hole, this would have left him vulnerable, because it's a decision that he can't easily reverse. Again, document on the walls with your keys or whatever that the hole is this way, but only come back to it if nothing else seems to be working. Again, the last thing you want to do is to corner yourself. So, there you have it, friends. How to survive the back rooms in six easy steps. One, have a maze-solving strategy. Two, mark your path using whatever's on you. Three, equip yourself with anything and everything that you can find. Four, ceilings, wires, and air ducts are gonna be your friend. Five, never take a one-way path. Always have at least two ways out. And six, if you absolutely have to, use the disjointed, confusing layout defensively when being attacked. Using all those tactics, you have the best chance possible of escaping this nightmare scenario. And hey, look on the bright side. If you ever get thirsty, you have as much moist carpet water to drink as you could possibly want. But hey, it's February, and if there's anything scarier than the back rooms, it's Valentine's Day. But fear not, my friends, because I've got the definitive strategy for surviving Valentine's Day in one easy step, getting a gift from our sponsor for today's episode, Established Titles. Done and done, theorists. See, here's okay, the thing. Well, that's the first episode, I guess. Can I take it? Ninja Turtles! I do want to see this movie. Jolly, jolly, jolly! Okay, guys, so I did not take in any of that, by the way. None of that. Actually, some of it went into my brain, like, let's use your stuff. Don't jump into a hole. Just mark and say that there's a hole here in case there is no other option. But that doesn't explain what the back rooms is. So we're just going to keep diving in. Go down this rabbit hole. Boom! Boom! We're 
Internet. Welcome to hey, Film hey, Theory, the show that reminds you that all the creepiest pastas came from the 1980s. Hulk Hogan! Hey Jay, welcome to Dang I Talk Too Much. <laughs> the podcast where I talk too much. Today we are just going over the back rooms. He's got pasta mania in the mall of America. I want to try to get a word with him. Pasta mania has got all my Hulkamaniacs running wild. And I've eaten so many Hulkaroos and Hulkaroos, I kind of feel sorry. Fun fact, that restaurant would go on to receive three Michelin stars. Well, I hope you carbo-loaded on that pasta mania, Hulkamaniacs. Because tonight we're no-clipping once more into the back rooms. The analog horror series right here on YouTube produced by Kane Pixels. Last time we wandered through these jaundiced hallways, we were looking for a means of escape, a way to survive the endless maze of humming fluorescence and soggy carpets. But today, we're looking for something different. We're looking for lore! Specifically, we want answers. At this point, Kane's series is three months old, and in that amount of time, he's given us ten videos full of creepy mysteries for us to chew on. What are the back rooms, really? Did humanity create them? Have they just been a parallel dimension all along? And what about the dead man that we find hidden in the middle of the maze covered in a violent explosion of black. Who is this guy? What is this guy? And most importantly of all, should we be concerned about that monster roaming the halls? Probably, right? Usually a giant roaring threat is something to be concerned about. So throw on your hazmat suits, friends, and grab your tow line. Today, we're going in deep. First, let's talk about timeline, shall we? Part of what makes the lore of the back room so hard to crack in an initial watch is that it follows the tried-and-true formula of series like The Walton Files, Mandela Catalog, and FNAF, where the story is just told out of order. The very first upload of the series, Back Room's found footage, actually comes last in the timeline currently, September 23rd, 1996. So, through the power of reorganization, let's recap what we know in the order that we know it. Our story begins in 1982 with ASYNC, a corporation conducting scientific research into magnetism and or electromagnetic field generators under government contract during the Cold War. In our first video of the series, Prototype, a video that, no joke, released as I was writing this paragraph, so forgive me if I miss anything in it. We get our first event of the series. A metallic marble is surrounded by what appears to be electromagnetic field generating tubes. Notice how the shape and general design matches diagrams for similar real life generators. The system fires up and just like that the ball is gone. Presumably teleported to some space within space. Thereby making the ball a subspace emissary if you will. I hate myself for that joke but then again you don't pass up the opportunity to make the very rare subspace emissary joke. Anyway by July of 1988, Async, emboldened by that initial success, has given their distortion field experiments a room-sized glow-up called Project KB31. Yeah. According it's to the video The Third Test, the goal of these experiments was to solve, quote, like all future storage and housing or... needs. So it seems like the foundation of our story here is that science discovers an entire other universe of endless space, and our first thought was, hey, it's a good place to store our junk. In total, Async conducts five failed tests to try so, and... Back backrooms... Trying to understand this. A, a company called Async made the backrooms. Okay? They were a company messing, testing something, like electromagnetic, whatever the fucks. I assume that's what I've gotten from this anyway. 
I assume stuff has gone wrong. <laughs> Open a portal to this subspace before the sixth finally proves successful. On October 17th, 1989 at 5.04 p.m. Pacific, with the generator beefed up and something redacted being introduced into something else redacted, the threshold gets cranked up and blasts out a light show that seems to almost shake the facility apart. When the smoke clears, the back rooms themselves have finally appeared on the other end. Async has achieved first contact. Unfortunately, that's not the only thing that happened. That date and time, 5.04 p.m. on October 17th, 1989, also happened to be, in reality, the moment of magnitude 6.9 so hit the central earthquake. coast of California, killing 63 and injuring and thousands more. The timing people. here is clearly not meant to be a coincidence, as a secret unlisted video on Kane Pixel's channel gives us real archival news footage from the Loma Prieta quake, including a map highlighting the location of the earthquake's epicenter, the Santa Cruz Mountains. In short, we now know where our async test facility is hidden. It's here, the epicenter of that devastating quake. And from that point forward, the world appears to be glitched. We see in the video Missing Persons that from October 1989 onward, huge numbers of ordinary people just start to go missing as they no-clip through reality, falling into this newly opened backrooms. So it took multiple people. That's strange that it took multiple people. Metaspace. All the while, Async is slowly exploring this new environment. On February 3rd, 1990, they have their first major discovery. discovery. A mysterious dead body coated dead in what appears to be some type of black mold. Dead person found 1990 in the back rooms. Old or aged blood splatter. So far in the series, he remains as an unidentified John Doe. But my suspicion is that this is actually Nicholas Bolton, a missing person that we see at the top of the upload. Notice a few of the details here. First, he's not wearing a hazmat suit, which clearly tells us that this is not an async employee. Instead, it's someone who no clipped into the back rooms. Second, compare their physical appearances. Notice the wider nose, tall forehead, the hoodie, just like we see on Nicholas's missing poster. Around the same okay. time, we Nicholas also see Bolton that async. Government contract appears to have been cancelled. In the next video autopsy report, we get quick cuts of various images on a screen. One image here is the top line of a document with the words contract termination. Things aren't looking too great for async, and they're about to get worse. Just shy of one month later, the fourth member of an async exploration crew is lured away from the rest by mysterious voices in the walls and ceiling, only to see his team glitch out of space when he tries to rejoin them. Guys, can you hear this? Hey guys, can you hear this? Hey! Um. Guys? Dead? Now lost, he wanders the hallways, stumbling across a bizarre theater with burned remains in the middle of the floor, as well as a smaller crawl space with non-carpeted floors, forest print wallpaper, and the facade of a house with farm equipment out. So that's just another level. So he went deeper into the back rooms. He found a farmhouse. What the fuck? I don't get it. I don't get it. How deep does it go?
front. As he continues his search, we see what looks to be an exit into an async control room, considering his keycard works on the door and his sounds of relief. But it winds up empty, and his presence triggers a red alert. End of upload. About a week later, on March 5th, async rigs cameras to motion sensors to capture the action of what's going on in the back rooms while people aren't there. We see async crew members constructing more walls. Yeah, because that's what the back rooms needed. More, more rooms. Walls. Humanity, you dumb. Later that Let's add more walls to a room with way too many walls. I understand night at 3 a.m., the cameras capture a bizarre dark shape that seems to be moving along the walls or the ceiling. Looks like the backrooms monster's been watching some YouTube videos. Don't explore the backrooms at 3 a.m. Asterisk scary. Asterisk you will cry. Asterisk shooketh. Which then brings us all the way back to the first ever upload, Kane's original found footage video. In 1996, a young cinematographer named Kane no-clips through the ground, falling into the backrooms, where he encounters some kind of monster that attacks and presumably kills him sending his camera falling through yet another clip and back out into reality. If you go frame by frame during this moment, you can actually see Kane's whole body here being attacked by the monster as the camera falls. It's a very cool little detail that I noticed. That's so anyway, that's the cool. story that we've gotten thus far, but it leaves plenty of major questions for us to speculate about. What's the nature of the back rooms? What is the monster roaming the halls? Why are there voices and farmhouses hidden inside the walls? Well, let's start with the monster. Is it human? Doesn't appear to be. You can probably also eliminate animal and bird. An insect? Nah. Maybe some kind of robot? It looks a little bit like one if you squint, but then again, I've always got animatronics on the brain, so I'm a little bit biased. I've seen some people suggest that it could be a ghost or an energy monster. No, energy monster, not monster energy. Regardless, we can eliminate both options because it has a physical form. It is able to throw objects and grab Kane. No, I think the Backrooms has already told us what this thing is. It's a mutated bacteria. Now, I know, bacteria are supposed to be really small, literally micro organisms, whereas the Backroom's monster is anything but. However, one Should thing that bacteria love to right do- now? <laughs> Should I get a notepad and just start jotting shit? Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Let me get- I've come prepared. Dude. <laughs> We're taking notes, Jay. We're taking notes. So. <laughs> Back rooms. Notes. Where should we start? A. Sink. Is the company who made the backrooms? The company in has met suits. I'll just I'll just put that. I'll just put that. Monster is bacteria. Mutated bacteria.
What else should I write down, Jay? What else should I write down? Body discovered 1990. Yep. Who is the who is the dead guy? So, what was the dead guy's name? This guy, Nicholas Bolters. Notice of Splatter. So far in the series, he remains as an unidentified John Doe. But my suspicion is that this is actually Nicholas Bolton. A mis Bolton. Nicholas Bolton. Dude, dude, <laughs> except this is actually interesting. <laughs> dude, I'm heavily into this. They are, I think that is what we're looking at here. A colonial organism composed of bacteria, possibly one that's been further mutated by exposure to human DNA, specifically a mutated strain of hay bacillus. That may seem specific, but there's a definite reason for it. You see, after Async discovers the mysterious dead body, they conduct an Mutated Hey Bacillus Okay Autopsy report on it Confirming that it's been decayed at uneven rates to have been overtaken by a mutated strain of bacteria It's like portions of the body stopped decaying and, and were sustained I took uh, samples of some of the material it seems to be closer to a mutated strain of simple hay bacillus. It should be completely benign, but really, I, I, I don't know what to make of this. Well, don't worry, Doc. Strays is rated off. Uh, okay. So what we got right now is async is... Huh. We got async is company in hazmat suits. We got monster is mutated bacteria, aka mutated hay bacillus. The backrooms is endless with different floors like the farmhouse and 1990 Nicholas Bolton's dead body was discovered. Sounds like we have a good start to our notes. <laughs> I'm trying to understand this as much as possible. I'm going to try to find a pen real fast. So I'd prefer to use a pen right now. 
I should have one. I wanna, wanna, wanna touch you. You wanna touch me too. Guys, I do art. Now we just gotta find one that works. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, let's get back into this. Well, don't worry, Doc, because I do. You see, hay bacillus, also known as bacillus subtilis, is pretty darn common, living in places like the human and cow digestive systems. It's a rod-shaped bacteria that's generally...
behind the scenes that we aren't supposed to enter? That idea goes way back into ancient mythology and folklore, probably as old as the human psyche itself. The ancient Greeks believed that spirits of the dead and plenty of other things inhabited an entire underworld of caves and caverns. The 19th century French occultist Joseph-Alexandre Saint-Yves Marquis de Levendre, how's that for a name, advanced what he claimed was evidence of an inner world inside the earth itself called Agartha, that some people still think is a thing today. Even the idea of just ordinary maintenance tunnels and access shafts all over the world being connected to a more sinister purpose was part of the background mythology in Jordan Peele's horror movie, Us. It's a very familiar looking wallpaper, but of them all, The Backrooms is probably most similar to the work of mid-20th century sci-fi horror creator Richard Matheson. He wrote the stories that inspired I Am Legend and The Incredible Shrinking Man, as well as many, many episodes of Star Trek and Twilight Zone, including the infamous Gremlin on the Wing episode with William Shatner. But perhaps most importantly for us today, he wrote Little Girl Lost, an episode of The Twilight Zone that was so iconic it would be parodied by The Simpsons years later in one of their Halloween episodes using really expensive for the time 3D animation. It's like, uh... Did anyone see the movie Tron? No. 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 Mesh. I mean, I mean, no. In both versions of the story, a character accidentally finds themselves passing through an imperceptible rift between our dimension and another, unable to find their way out, getting lost in a vast, confusing, repetitive maze. Sound familiar? Really similar to the idea of falling into the back rooms. In fact, the only real difference between all these stories is the terminology involved. For the original Backrooms lore, they say that you've no-clipped through reality, a phrase borrowed from video games to... describe when solid graphical elements pass through one another in a way that the program doesn't intend, resulting in a player character ending up in an empty space outside of the quote-unquote level box. This sometimes allows you to skip around and cheat, especially when you're talking about older games when developers were still figuring out how to make 3D work. Now, Kane Pixels is back- Takis presents Slang for Parents. Basic. reference to this. We have never heard the phrase no clipping, and we have not once seen any references to video games or digital worlds. In fact, Kane's series has taken the general concept of the backrooms and layering on a science fiction rationale to ground it in a very believable reality. And yet, the video game stuff? I think this is exactly what he's building towards. And the key is right here at 545 in the very first upload. Check out the rope. It's sitting there. Just sitting right there. At first, I thought nothing of it. It's just garbage on the ground, whatever. But then, one month later we get this at the midpoint of informational video. As the lost async employee explores the smaller crawl space with forest wallpaper, he stumbles across the facade of a farmhouse, and near it is this, an axe leaning against the wall. Again, a singular object just sitting there alone waiting to get picked up. So we're wandering through a maze made of geometric shapes and repeating textures, stalked by a monster, and random useful objects are just sitting there out in the open on the ground waiting to get picked up. No real context around them. 
from. It looks a lot to me like a video game. The kind of video game you might no clip in or out of. To me, this whole area with the tree texture wallpaper, the facade of a house on the wall, the random old-time farm tools, Hope for the best with this one. How does this one sound? It doesn't surprise me that my mic went out. Really loud. That's how that one sounds. God damn. God damn. God damn. I fixed it, though. I fixed it. There we go. Yeah. That just looks slightly geometrically off. This looks like the exact way older 3D video games. With the Sonic 2 for 7 deal, you get to choose from a Sonic cheeseburger, chicken sandwich, and six-piece mod sticks. If that doesn't sound appealing, you might need to turn up your TV. Sonic 2 for 7 deal. Introducing my... It's your Verizon. Okay, we're going to try to fast forward. Out of a house on the wall, the random old-time farm tools that just look slightly geometrically off, this looks like the exact way older 3D video games, I'm talking PlayStation 1 era, would use polygons and flat textures to try and render outdoors and nature settings within level box designs. They would paint the walls to look like trees. They would paper the sky blue with textures. They would stick a house facade onto a giant rectangle to surround the door that they want you to go into. Check out the wheelbarrows, specifically the shadows of the wheelbarrows. Notice how they don't really move or shift position 
as the bright flashlight beam moves. While this certainly could be just 3D animation issues, it also reflects how many early video games couldn't or didn't use dynamic shaders. Shadows, if they existed at all, tended to be fixed and painted onto textures. This saved on processing power, but also gave objects a bit of a flat look. There's even a point where our async employee leans in close to the wheelbarrows where it looks like the wallpaper pixel smears into just color lines. Again, like you'd see in a video game with texture mapping on the fritz. So if the back rooms is indeed the space you go to when you no-clip through the ground, like we see Kane do in episode 1, then we're looking at evidence that reality itself on our side of the threshold is also a simulation. It could very well be that this whole series is just a modern take on the Matrix, a simulation that no one realizes they're in. And when Async opens the door to the back rooms, they're finding a storage area for the extra unused assets, the procedurally generated worlds, the levels that just haven't quite made the cut yet. As Kane explores As the various levels in the series' first upload, we see office supplies and warehouses, but also residential-style railings and exteriors of buildings that are clearly indoors. Hardwood floors, repeating filing cabinets, it's a mishmash of random assets, like when you're exploring a library of 3D assets from something like a game engine. All of reality being a simulation would also explain the voices that lure the async employee away in the informational video. Listen to the sound. These aren't voices that are explicitly trying to lure him away. It's not sinister in any way. It's just general white noise of a busy office or a party. Almost as though reality is breaking through. While he's wandering around in a simulation on a computer, an office party is going on one layer of reality up. But outside of the wall textures and random objects just sitting out in the open like a video game, there's one piece of evidence that really clinches it for me. Something that gets me to raise my eyebrow. Notice the date on this upload. February 29th, 1990. Here's the mind blow. That can't be correct. There is no such day in existence. February has 28 days, and 1990 was not a leap. Hey, sussy baka. To me, this wasn't a mistake. Kane already picked first contact to happen on a day when a major real-world earthquake occurred. The dates in this series matter. It tells me that we're existing in a reality different from our own. One where a February 20th... I don't know what you all can see. It's kind of hard. <laughs> I do got a whole page full of shit, though.
1990 can exist. A simulated reality. And the back rooms is the boundary between worlds, where the separation becomes just a little bit thinner, allowing things like office voices and, who knows, maybe even a virulent bacteria into the simulation. Am I right? Will async be able to break through the boundary? I guess we'll just have to wait and see. But hey, that's just a theory. A film theory. And cut. This one is damn near an hour long. Latest reports are in. Looks like they came back with some new footage. Let's take a look. Now it starts to come together. That's it, huh? Well, it's enough. Round up the troops. We've got a lot to discuss. Things just went from bad to worse. Hello, internet. Welcome to Film Theory. Holy Fruit Loops. GTA. real world and it's frozen again you didn't tell me that jay gosh tech support god spaces outside the boundaries of those levels. Unused ideas, spare assets, cut content. You want to know why FNAF security breach's file size was so huge when the thing first came out? Something like 80 gigs of content? Well, it was just piles and piles of cut stuff. Full floors of geometry that weren't accessible in the course of normal gameplay, but hadn't been removed from the game's files. And that, my theorists, are what I expect the backrooms are. The cut content, the spare assets, the AI-generated worlds that didn't quite make the cut for reality. Last time, we proposed that somehow the company Async was able to use electromagnetism to tap into those parts of the map, the ones that exist outside the boundaries of reality, beyond the parts of the world that we're meant to see, giving us the various repetitive corridors of the back rooms as we know them. Now, since the release of that last theory, Kane has come out with three new videos. The first is Pitfalls, where one of Async's researchers descends deeper than ever before in the back rooms, only to discover an entire underground city. The next was Report, where 
where we see the immediate aftermath of that incident and Async sealing the entrances to the back rooms. And finally, there was Presentation, where we see how Async pitched this thing as the solution to an increasingly overpopulated world, but how they ultimately lost their government contracts when a researcher accidentally causes a lockdown of the facility. All three of these new videos are full of lore details, but to me, the biggest revelation to come out of these uploads is that the back rooms aren't just responsible for warping physical reality, they're also warping time itself. Attention all you partygoers, I think I've cracked exactly how and why people are no-clipping into this place. But enough talking, friends, it's time to go get lost in these endless hallways of lore! Now, despite the video game concept of no-clipping being a key part of the original creepypasta that this series is based on, Kane has yet to explicitly reference any video game terminology. However, after watching this new slate of videos, I'm more convinced than ever that we're still on the right track. For example, let's take a closer look at Pitfalls. In it, we follow researcher Marvin Lee as he falls to a deeper level of the facility, only to discover a full neighborhood underground. And I do mean full. Streetlights, houses, trees, all of it. Well, all of it except for people. There are no signs of life here. So either an entire empty town fell into the back rooms, or this is yet another example of an unused or incomplete level. And when we do get to enter one of the houses, things are just slightly off inside. There are six inverted street signs just hanging out in the middle of an empty room, almost like a level designer intended to put them out on the street, but instead just moved them out of sight into the house. Making things even stranger though, the house has a single hallway leading straight back. It's like the uncanny valley of architecture. It's clearly meant to be a house, but it just doesn't nail it. Almost like it'd been designed not by a human, but rather by an AI. Something that's trying to mimic a human home, but without fully understanding the flow and function of the various rooms and hallways. But of course, it doesn't end there. If you followed the back rooms at all, you know that Kane likes to hide a bunch of secrets in the descriptions of his videos. And two of the new uploads, Report and Presentation, link to secret unlisted uploads. The first of these is titled this. Uh, um, I'm just gonna call it Numbers, because saying a long string of random digits every time is gonna be a pain. This Numbers video seems to be footage from a traffic camera on a highway. Nothing too out of the ordinary, right? But then, about 22 seconds in, we see a car no clip through the ground. Not only does this tell us that literally anything can wind up in the back rooms, including large vehicles like cars, but I think we might be able to figure out who was actually in that car. Back in the upload Missing Persons, we see posters for multiple people who have disappeared since the opening of the back rooms. One such poster is for Margaret Watson, the only poster of the bunch that describes not only her physical appearance, but also her car. Her car is a 1987 Ford Escort, and wouldn't you know it, but when you can footage from numbers to an 87 Ford Escort, they have the same boxy appearance. So, I wouldn't be surprised if this is meant to be footage of Margaret Watson no-clipping into the back rooms on December 2nd, 1989, along with her car. But that's not all that we can get out of the secret upload. The digits in the title of numbers obviously aren't meant to be random here, but what are they? All our usual suspects are out. Ciphers don't seem to work, it's not a- Are you looking to buy a great car? But I have not so great credit. But have not so great credit. phone number, and it doesn't seem to be long enough for hex code either. Nope, Kane decided to get even more creative with this one. That series of 13 numbers is actually an international standard book number, an ISBN. These are unique numeric codes used to identify books, kind of 
like a fingerprint for a book. And 978-0415-263-573 is linked to a book written by Charlotte Perkins Gilman. The literary classic, The Yellow Wallpaper. Yellow Wallpaper, you say? Hmm. If you've never had to read this for school, or even if you did have to read it for school and you didn't, this was a landmark... I've read that book. That's weird, because that, that, uh, she can't stop staring at the walls. The walls are putting her off. And she hears voices. Just talking to her. I've read that book. We had to read it for class in school. Jeez, that's so weird. piece of feminist literature about a woman slowly going insane after being forced to stay in a room with ugly yellow wallpaper. She begins to see moving shapes and people within the wallpaper, and she believes that the ugly yellow color stains everything that it touches. By the end, the woman has peeled all the wallpaper off the walls trying to help the person that's trapped inside, only for the woman to then believe that she's become that person. Now, there's little direct correlation between the short story and the Backrooms videos, but a lot of its ideas are clearly present here. For example, as we see in Pitfalls, the bacteria monsters can mimic the voices of their victims. Hey! Can you hear me? The monster can also infect the corpses after killing them, like we see with a victim named Nicholas Bolton in the video Autopsy Report. In a way, they're almost replacing their victims. The monsters are trapped in the back rooms, like the people in the wallpaper from our short story. Their next step then should be trying to get out of the wallpaper, out of the back rooms, and out into the real world where they can infect more. Framing this in our simulation theory, it's almost like this is a computer virus infecting reality, corrupting it, just like the ugly yellow color of the wallpaper paper staining everything that it touches in the short story. Now, while all of that's certainly interesting, and I always love a good excuse to work in a literary reference, it's the second secret video that really starts to break this thing wide open, and it all boils down to The Simpsons. This one is simply called The Simpsons, and it, fittingly enough, features a clip from The Simpsons, specifically the episode Bart Gets Hit by a Car. I'd like to talk to you about bringing legal action against the fiend who did this to your boy. Feels super random, right? I'm just sitting here watching a Simpsons episode now. However, the clip glitches out about 35 seconds in, and suddenly we're sitting here watching a Spanish commercial for a cough medication named Dimacol. And while I could certainly stand here and draw parallels between a medicine for cough syrup and a mutated bacteria monster running around, I don't think it's the content of these clips that's important here. Instead, I suspect it's the timeline of their release. You see, Bart Gets Hit by a Car premiered in 1991. This timing makes a lot of sense. Up to this point, practically all the videos of Kane's Backroom series have been dated from the late 80s or early 90s. But the Dimacol commercial really stands out in this context. According to its archive on YouTube, this thing didn't hit airwaves until about 2000. What I suspect is that async opening portals to the back rooms temporarily messes with the flow of time. Here, that Simpsons clip from the early 90s is interrupted by a commercial from the future, only for things to return to normal after async's experiment is done. Does it sound crazy? Yeah, yeah it does, but it shouldn't. Time clearly works differently in the back rooms, and this isn't the only example we have. Here in the Pitfalls video, as Marvin moves further into the hallway in the back of that weird house, the camera glitches hey, just a bit. Cool. And if you listen closely, you can hear something playing in the background. 
Did you hear it? It's really hard to make out, but if you listen carefully, it's actually a news broadcast from when Cuba and the United States reopened diplomatic relations. Let's compare. We'll make the trip to the U.S. Do you think that your current president, President Castro, will come visit the United States? That specific broadcast, it didn't happen until July of 2015. The date of pitfalls, meanwhile, is 1990. In this short scene, we're actually hearing news from 25 years in the future. But it doesn't just stop at... Can hear noises from future. I'm not understanding this, but I am understanding specific parts. Like, I don't understand how they all come together. It's News broadcasts or commercials airing decades out of their own time. We see the physical interference of time as well. As I mentioned earlier, the video presentation shows us async losing. Who decided to add bacon and ranch? A genius. Chosen you. How do we get it to no, unchoose? I'm falling asleep. I'm, I'm wild. Now, this is an upgrade. Experience more with a $300 travel credit from Chase Sapphire Reserve. Latest reports are in. I'm wide awake. A date that's just completely different from what we saw written on that clap. Where were we? It didn't happen until July of 2015. The date of pitfalls, meanwhile, is 1990. In this short scene, we're actually hearing news from 25 years in the future. But it doesn't just stop at news broadcasts or commercials airing decades out of their own time. We see the physical interference of time as well. As I mentioned earlier, the video presentation shows us Async losing their government contract with the Department of Energy because of an emergency lockdown. The thing that causes the lockdown? An Async researcher accidentally entered the control center for the back rooms. Not all that big of a deal, right? Wrong. You see, it's the same researcher that saw his team glitch out and disappear all the way back in informational video. At the end of that upload, we see him open the async control room and set off the red alert. But here's the thing. This guy disappeared on February 29th, 1990. His reappearance and presentation is on May 8th, 1990, over two months later. But clearly, he hasn't been wandering around for that long. He's somehow been transported into the future. This can even go so far as to explain a discrepancy that I've called out in past videos. In the very f First upload of the series, we see a clapper board that clearly marks the date as July 1990-something. But the date in the description of found footage reads as September 23rd, 1996. A date that's just completely different from what we saw written on that clapper board. When we first covered the backrooms, I figured this was just an innocent mistake. You know, small error in dates during a point in the series when dates didn't matter all that much. But now, it is clearly setting up the idea that time works differently within the backrooms. But that then begs the question,
question, how? Why is time acting crazy, and more importantly, why now? Well, we might actually have an answer for that. You see, one of the secret uploads for the series is an archive file from March 11th, 1990. In it, we see the rooms being flooded, which would obviously explain the soggy floors. But more importantly, this is where we first learn about the concept of null zones. Now, if you don't know what these are, yeah, you probably shouldn't. They haven't been explained at all, and they've only been referenced once in the main series as a passing comment in Pitfalls. But what if Miller's right about the null zone? In the original Creepypasta's lore, there were things called null rooms, but Kane's interpretation of the entire backrooms idea has taken a lot of liberties, and his null zones don't seem to relate all that much to null rooms in any way outside of just sharing the word null. Instead, basically all we have to go off of is this one image. It's a bit difficult to make out due to the quality of the video, but I think it reads, due to the elevation discrepancy between panel 225 and 224, a null KX field is created. It's not much to go off of, but at least it's something. And looking back at pitfalls, things start to make a bit more sense. Marvin asks about the null zones after entering an area that's at a slightly offset elevation. Look at the difference in heights between the hallway and the neighborhood. And that news broadcast from the future? The camera picks it up only as Marvin crosses the threshold of a single stair in the hallway. Each time we see an elevation discrepancy, he is crossing a null zone. See, the phrase null KX field caught my eye for a lot of reasons. Seemed like a jumping off point that Kane put in so theorists like us could discover something about the world that he's building. So let's break down what the phrase could actually mean bit by bit. Starting with null. In physics, a null is a point where two opposing quantities cancel each other out. Basically, when two equal waves meet, there's going to be a point where they perfectly reflect each other, thereby canceling each other out. The channel Electroboom here on YouTube demonstrates this really well using sound waves. Right now, only the first speaker is on, and I'm going to stay out of its way and turn the second speaker on. Now I turn the speaker off again. On. Off. On. So, whatever a null KX field is, it's cancelling something out. Some sort of a wave. And I have a strong suspicion as to what those waves might be. Electromagnetic waves. We see what appear to be electromagnetic tubes making a ball disappear in the video prototype. And we hear talk about magnetic field distortions in other uploads like Third Test. So it seems like a solid hypothesis. Moving on to the KX here, we can assume that the X is a reference to the X axis. You know X, Y, and Z axes on a three-dimensional graph? Well, that explains our X. Which leaves us with K as some sort of a constant. I dug around for formulas that use the specific KX nomenclature, and while Hooke's law for the potential energy of a spring was certainly a possibility, it felt like an odd fit considering the material we're working with here. It seemed far more likely that the KX here was a reference to the numerous formulas for electromagnetic field equations that use KX as a dimensional point. And here's the thing, a lot of our everyday life can be traced back to electromagnetic waves. Light, heat, electricity, radio, x-rays, microwaves, all of them have a place on the electromagnetic spectrum, and objects that use or give off those things also tend to create their own EM waves. Your phone generates EM waves. Your car, EM thanks to its alternator. What's more, every person that we've seen no clip into or experience strangeness in the back rooms has been using technology that uses EM waves. Kane, Marvin, and the researcher from Informational Video were all using electronic cameras to write information onto magnetic tapes. And Margaret Wilson, she was driving her car when she no clipped through. What if people are no clipping into the back rooms because they're on 
lucky enough to be in a spot where the electromagnetic wave from the real world happens to meet one from the back rooms, thereby creating a null zone, canceling each other out, and letting the person slip through. Electromagnetism is also one of the four fundamental forces of nature that make up our world. If you think of it back in the terms of a simulated reality of a video game, it's almost like an integral part of the game engine code that runs our universe. And I think that's literally the case here within the universe of the back rooms. Through their experiments with electromagnetism, Async has glitched their own reality, like a speedrunner that intentionally manipulates the RAM of an old game to tweak the code and teleport to where they shouldn't be. But this has broken the rest of the game, the rest of reality. And now that part of the game engine is glitched. Players are randomly no-clipping into places they shouldn't be or hearing audio from faraway futures as they wander into these null zones. More and more, the world of the back rooms is starting to sound like the world's jankiest MMORPG. And, just like with a video game, exploiting a few glitches here and there can really cause the game's stability to collapse. Which means, it's likely that this is just the beginning. The physical world and time itself will become more and more unstable as new rooms are open and as more people clip in. What started as a high-tech way to expand your garage... World will become more unstable. As new rooms are made. storage or squeeze in a few extra cubicles will suddenly put the entire world at risk. The lines between the real and the simulated will start to blur to the point that, just like with the woman in the yellow wallpaper, we're all infected. We're all going a little mad. We're all the ones trapped inside of the walls. But hey, if you've ever felt like you were glitching out or that you couldn't trust the reality of your computer screen, you might have just been using an unencrypted internet connection. Those things are dangerous, friends. Every time you connect to public Wi-Fi at an airport, a hotel, or a coffee shop, shop okay i think we're gonna skip this one for the night this get out video. of there nope nope don't trust it well if we do get back in the same system uh, it's, you just it come is back an hour long and but i am gonna do this one and this one thanks to google for sponsoring a portion of today's video I'm not writing all that down, but yes, keep that as a note. Our <laughs> world will become more unstable as new rooms are made. Astonishing. This, this could rewrite everything we know about Egyptian society. The world has to know! Hello, 
internet! Welcome to Film Theory, the show that goes on weekly archaeological digs to look for that buried lore. Now, today we're doing something a little bit different. We're taking the script and throwing it out the window. You see, normally when we do a lore theory, they all build off the previous videos in the series like a wobbly Jenga stack. That way, bit by bit, piece by piece, we get closer to the truth. And if something's wrong, well, we go back and course correct before moving on from there. But what if someone else has it all figured out? What if we are so completely off base that that already wobbly stack of lore is also built on like, I don't know, rubber band legs while an earthquake is going on. I am talking about bad theories, friends. I mean, it's not like we've ever had any of those before, but seriously, there's always more than one way to analyze a franchise, and Kane Pixels' Backrooms is the perfect example of this. Now, in case you don't know, The Backrooms is a massively popular analog horror web series found right here on YouTube, created by the visual effects artist Kane Pixels. It's all about a creepy, alternate dimension of endless office hallways that people keep no-clipping into and then getting trapped in, as well as the scientific research company Async, who keeps trying to figure out what the backrooms are all about. Right now, our working lore theory is that the world of the backrooms is actually one big simulation. Async's experiments have broken part of the game engine that's running said simulation, thereby allowing people to no-clip into areas with cut content or unused ideas. And, because they've broken it, now everything is glitched, putting the world in danger. But you see, ours isn't the only popular theory that's been floating around for the series. In the fan community, there's been another very popular solution to what we see throughout these uploads. See, several popular fan theories have made a connection between Kane Pixels' backrooms and ancient Egyptian mythology. Yeah, you heard that one right. Ancient Egypt, complete with mummies and Anubis and the Field of Reeds. If that sounds wild to you, well, you're not alone. It did to me too. On a surface level, the yellow hallways of the backrooms don't really seem like they'd share all that much of anything in common with the shifting sands of ancient Egypt. And yet, there's a community of theorists out there who appear to have found a surprising number of parallels between the two. So, that's why we're here, to review their evidence and go further, give more, and ultimately render a verdict. Are the back rooms secretly connected to ancient Egypt? Ladies and gentlemen, strap in, it's Morty time. Leave your theories in the comments below. I'll pick my favorites in the next episode of Morty. So, the oldest example I could find of someone calling out the potential Backrooms Egypt connection was this Reddit thread by Alex Miho was taken on March 23rd, 2022. Given the flurry of posts in the aftermath of Kane's first video, though, I may have missed something earlier, so apologies if I did. Since that first post, though, a ton of other theorists have flooded in to analyze the connections. The most in-depth example is this massive six-page analysis from Zach Gardner on the entire Backroom storyline. Now, this thread is long, so I'm just gonna to touch on the highlights here. First, and most importantly, the name, KV-31. In the back rooms, KV-31 is the project designation that Async gives to their Low Proximity Magnetic Distortion System, aka their portal into the back rooms. At first, KV-31 might just seem like a couple of random letters and numbers that got slapped together, but it actually shares its name with a real-world location, a tomb in Egypt's Valley of the Kings, also named KV-31. Hmm, interesting. Let's dive deeper. Literally. The topmost shaft to this tomb was discovered all the way back in October of 1817, but the rest of the complex remained undiscovered until about 2010. Then, in January of that year, archaeologists discovered that the complex actually went much deeper 
deeper than they first believed. Now, just on a surface level, that already seems somewhat similar to the Backrooms, right? Our world exists on top of an undiscovered tomb, which remained undisturbed for thousands of years. Exactly how the Backrooms was underneath the real world until Async's discovery. Egyptologists were also shocked to discover that the KV-31 tomb kept going down deeper than they initially expected. There were hidden layers, new floors to unearth as you got deeper. Exactly what we see Async uncovering in the back rooms. But the connections between the two go beyond merely the name and the general idea of secret tomb go down. As archaeologists work their way through the KV-31 tomb, they discovered the remains of five mummies from Egypt's 18th dynasty. And now, look at the back rooms. How many missing persons posters are we shown? Five. And when we do happen to find one of those bodies buried in the back rooms, it appears dehydrated, dry, and leathery. Kind of like the remains of a mummified person in an ancient Egyptian tomb. And that's not all. The mummies that were found in KV-31 were so mangled that they were missing limbs and unidentifiable, just like the victims of the bacteria monster that we see in Kane's series. On another- The people of Chicago can never be broken. We gotta lean on each other. We are what we need. Another note, researchers of KV-31 installed a metal door over the shaft during the excavation to prevent any unwelcome intruders from entering the tomb. This is very similar to how we see Async erect a metal barrier between their control room and the back rooms, preventing people from getting in while also preventing any undead monsters from possibly getting out. Speaking of doors, by the way, other Reddit users have pointed out that the doors for Async's portal look awfully similar to the false doors that can be found in Egyptian tombs. These false doors are carvings or paintings that are meant to be artistic representations of a door that acted as a threshold between the worlds for the living and the dead. These were meant to be doors through which the spirits of the dead could pass from the earth to the afterlife. Given how deadly the backrooms have proven so far for anyone who no clips in, let's just say demand would be high for anything helping guide dead spirits. In fact, the entire backrooms idea bears a striking resemblance to the Egyptian concept of the duat, or the Egyptian afterlife. According to Egyptologist John H. Taylor, the content for the duat drew directly from what Egyptians knew in their day-to-day -day life. Realistic features like rivers, fields, caverns, and islands, while also incorporating more fantastical imagery like lakes of fire, turquoise trees, and walls of iron. And while the Backrooms isn't drawing from natural features like rivers and caverns, it is drawing from everyday mundane things that we're all familiar with. Ugly wallpaper, fluorescent lights, wet carpeting. It also takes the normal and makes it abnormal, kind of like the field of reeds. And while, no, we haven't yet seen anything as outright fantastical as a lake of fire, we have seen farmhouses hidden inside the walls, giant chairs, and homes full of backwards road signs. All things that we're used to seeing in our day-to-day -day lives, but combined with other ideas that they shouldn't be mixed with. So that's pretty much the main points the fan created Backrooms is actually Egypt theory. What's my take on it? Well, before we get to that, let's pause for a moment to thank our sponsor for this portion of today's video, Google. Have you noticed? Welcome and everyone belongs. You can find out more at belonging.google.com. Thanks again to Google for sponsoring that portion of the video, and now let's no clip back into the back rooms. Having laid out all the evidence, what do you think? Seriously, let me know down in the comments. I'd love to have your thoughts on this theory, because here's the way I see it. I'm not buying it. I love a good off-the-wall theory, and there have been plenty of times where I've been known to stretch real hard to get some evidence. But looking at the whole Egypt connection thing, what's here is circumstantial at best, and even worse, doesn't really add up to all that much. 
much. Let's start here with the biggie. The point to me that's the most compelling, the name, KV31. Yes, the fact that the async project name and this tomb in Egypt line up is a fascinating coincidence, but we just don't have enough evidence to call it anything beyond that. First of all, KV31 is an entirely unremarkable tomb. It's not very big, like the seemingly endless back rooms, and it didn't contribute anything significant to Egyptian archaeology. But more importantly, there are hundreds of tombs all around Egypt. It's easy to hear a phrase like ancient Egyptian tomb and think something grand and mysterious like the pyramids, but in reality, they were just like fancy basements for burials. When I visited Egypt 10 years ago, I went to a few that were literally in the middle of some guy's backyard. No joke. We in the West have this mystique and allure attached to Egyptian tombs, but they're more common than the media would have you believe. Going back to KV-30, the KV stands for Valley of the Kings. It's on the west bank of the Nile, right across from Luxor. And in this one area alone, there are roughly 63 numbered tombs. KV-01 all the way through KV-63. If Kane had picked any KV number between 1 and 63, this exact same argument could have been made. It seems far more likely to me that Kane either came up with a cool sci-fi sounding collection of letters and numbers that just so happened to coincide with an obscure dig site in Egypt, or he knew about the numbering system in the Valley of the Kings thought it sounded cool and used it for Async's project name with little thought beyond that. Trust me guys, I get it. I've been there. I see a weird world building detail like that in a franchise that I love and want to theorize about and so I try and reverse engineer it. I search KV31 to see what comes up and boom! First result, Egyptian tomb. From there I would try to look for what else I could add to the theory. What other connections I could make that could be added to that stack of Jenga blocks. I get why people would want to go down this rabbit hole cause I would do the exact same thing. So let's keep going to get a sense of how stable the rest of the evidence is. Let's look at the so-called connections between all the doors, shall we? The archaeologists in charge of excavating KV-31 sealed the tomb off using a metal door, just like Async seals off the entrance to the back rooms using a metal door. Sure, that's a connection of sorts, but probably doesn't mean all that much of anything. It's far more likely that the metal doors were chosen in both circumstances because they're common building materials that provide strong protection. That is just what happens when you're trying to build a secure door in modern times. And the idea that Async's portal looks like an Egyptian false door? I mean, they're both multi-tiered rectangular entranceways, but that's because they're doors. More importantly though, the theorists that are drawing the connection here overlook a major point. The false part of the Egyptian false door. They're fake. They were etchings used to simulate real doors. Kane's design for the backroom's door, meanwhile, appears to be entirely functional. There's the main entryway, and it's surrounded by cabinets that appear to have the necessary wires and electronics to make the main door function. This comparison also ignores that false door carvings were typically taller and thinner, while Kane's design is short and squat. As for the five mummies found within the KV-31 tomb compared to the five missing people that we see called out in Kane's series, that right there on the surface seems like it'd be a really solid piece of evidence. Until, of course, you do the research for your- Okay, we're gonna go- If you or a loved one is struggling with opioid addiction, know that you are not alone. There is help. There is hope. Addiction is not a choice. It is a chronic disease. For resources and support, go to timetoactmissouri.com. Any slow zipper knows you'll enjoy your drink from McDonald's longer than anyone else. The deliciously rich McCafe Oreo Frappe is back. Get yours today before it's gone or pick up a new refreshing lemonade. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba -ba. 
Hello, Internet! Welcome to Film Theory, the show that knows that going onto YouTube can be like no clipping into the back rooms. You're minding your own business when suddenly it's days later and you have no idea how you've watched so many padlock reviews. A very, very beefy and very robust lock. Oh, would you look at the shackle on that baby? Shout out to lockpicking lawyer, by the way, for teaching me way more about locks than I thought a human brain could consume. Anyway, today we're returning to the mono yellow walls and ceaseless hum-buzzing fluorescence of the back rooms. In case you need to catch up, The Backrooms is an analog horror series here on YouTube.com created by indie filmmaker Kane Pixels. The initial video Kane uploaded in January of 2022 absolutely exploded in popularity, gaining over 43 million views and becoming the seventh most watched video on YouTube of the entire year. All thanks to its unique atmosphere, clever scares, and fantastic production quality. It was also built for theorists like us, filled to the brim with awesome ideas and hidden lore for us to decode. In fact, towards the end of the year, Steph and I even gave Kane Pixels a Streamy Award to honor him for all his incredible work. This is a box that was uh, delivered to my house. So, Kane Pixels, here. Did I just no clip into the back rooms? <laughs> Kane, uh, I went to the back rooms and I got you this. I'm just so honored to be accepting this. So I guess really the only thing I can say right now is thank you. But now here we are, one year later from that initial upload, now with a story that spans four decades of time and 15 videos, plus a few secret videos mixed in. The community has come up with a ton of ideas to explain this thing. Everything from alternative realities colliding to the back rooms being an incarnation of the ancient Egyptian afterlife. Our running theory here is that the world that we see in the back rooms is some sort of simulation, like a giant video game or the Matrix. What we know of as the real world is the topmost layer of that simulation. But below the surface, there's an infinite procedurally generated world of unused and cut content. Stuff that either didn't fit or just wasn't good enough to make the cut for the real world. And while I still believe that to be the case, today I wanted to take a step back and reset. Rooms is a tricky series to talk about. Nothing is presented in chronological order, and things tend to jump back and forth in time, with some earlier videos referencing events from later videos that haven't technically happened yet. Heck, the very first video that Kane ever uploaded is currently one of the last ones in the timeline. So today, I wanted to do something a little different. I wanted to sit down and make a definitive timeline of exactly what's happened and when, so we can get ourselves a clear overview of everything that's going on in this giant mystery that Kane's crafting. And in doing this, in seeing what fits where, and more importantly, what doesn't fit where, we'll be able to learn a lot more about this story. Spoiler alert, friends, there appears to be a massive time loop we're dealing with, and we might just be witnessing the collapse of an entire universe. Jump into those hazmat suits and hold on to the red guideline, friends. We're going in. The very first event that we see in the series actually comes from the most recent upload as I'm writing this script, Overflow. This video takes place on August 7th, 1972, as we can see thanks to the signature of a man named Ivan Beck. Over the course of this two-minute video, we also hear a radio broadcast about the Lend-Lease Agreement, which happened between the United States and USSR in, you guessed it, 1972. We watch as an electrical or radio station is overtaken by a green glow that shakes everything violently before suddenly cutting to black. Remember that green light? It's gonna be important for us later. The video ends with the night sky now mirror reflected. Something in this universe has fundamentally changed. From there, we fast forward by about a decade to the early 1980s, when a central California-based 
company called Async begins researching electromagnetism. On May 10th, 1982, we see one such test of a strange electromagnetic device in the video prototype. Over the next several years, Async would refine this prototype into Project KV-31, otherwise known as the Low Proximity Magnetic Distortion System. On July 2nd, 1988, Async performs a failed third test of the system, but it's their sixth test that really matters. On October 17th, 1989 at 5.04 p.m. Pacific, they power up the system one more time and successfully open a portal to the back rooms. They have made first contact. However, this move has dire consequences. 5.04 p.m. was the exact time of a real-world magnitude 6.9 earthquake that hit California, killing 63 and injuring thousands more. All of this is confirmed in archival footage found in the secret video collateral.mov, and that's not the worst of it. From that point forward, the world is just glitched. Small, unseen portals into and out of the back room start popping up everywhere. People begin no-clipping through reality, never to be seen again. Starting in October of 1989, the number of missing persons reports skyrockets. This is confirmed in the video titled Missing Persons. Obvious video title is obvious. We soon learn that some of these portals are even big enough for entire cars to slip through, like we see in a secret, undated video that must come from around the same period. Meanwhile, back in the lab, Async begins to send in research teams. On February 3rd of 1990, they begin their first mission. Inside the back rooms, this team of scientists discover the body of Nicholas Bolton, one of the people called out as having gone missing. Fun fact, the picture used for Bolton here is actually the senior photograph of Nathan Barnett, whom you might recognize as Dad, from one of my other favorite creepy YouTube series that we've covered here on the channel several times. Go figure, it's almost like subscribing to this channel is a great way to learn about all the coolest series that you should be watching right now. Just a random thought that popped into my head, but you know, the subscribe button is down below this video in case you want to use it. Interestingly, Nicholas's body is covered in what appears to be some sort of black, moldy growth. Two days later, on February 5th, in the video autopsy report, the medical report on Bolton's body shows that it contains a mutant strain of hay bacillus bacteria, which is slowing decay of some parts of the body while completely overtaking others. The Relax. This place, meg proof. Two, the tread, GDPG 13. Skin feel tight and dry? Try Hydroboost Gel Cleanser to cleanse and hydrate. Neutrogena. The coroner questions Async about where they found this thing. Mr. Beck, may I ask? Uh, where this subject came from. Which Async must not have liked. During this video, a bunch of images flash across a CRT television, including one that states contract termination. Originally, I thought that this was a contract termination between Async and the US government, but I actually found a wider, clearer version of this exact image in a trailer that Kane uploaded back when the Backrooms was just a school project. And the version of that document reads employment contract termination. So I'm guessing that the doctor started asking too many questions and was let go as a result. Next up on our timeline, is February 29th, 1990, and the upload informational video. Here, we see Async send in another group of scientists. This is also the first appearance of actual named living characters. In the group, we have Marvin Lee and the camera operator Peter Tench. During their mission, Tench gets distracted by voices coming from an unseen party in a nearby yeah, hallway. He separates from the group briefly to investigate, but almost immediately, he's met with a glitch that makes the rest of the team disappear. Hey guys, do you hear this? 
Hey. Without knowing it, Peter has jumped forward in time. We're gonna rejoin him in a minute, but back to the rest of the team. From Async's perspective, Peter's team didn't disappear, Peter did. He just vanished into thin air, and so the rest presumably returned to headquarters to report his disappearance. We see the fallout of Peter going missing less than a week later, March 5th, 1990, in the video Motion Detected. Freaked out by an employee disappearing with no explanation, Async creates a new enclosed control room just on the other side of the backrooms portal. They also rig up motion sensing cameras near the entrance to track everything that's coming and going throughout the space. And it's a good thing they did too, because that night at 3.53 a.m., they capture the image of a dark blobby shape moving across the ceiling. We don't know it yet at this point in the timeline, but later we're gonna learn that this is likely a black gooey monster made of a mutant strain of bacteria. The very same bacteria that infected Nicholas Bolton. We know this because Kane has posted a picture of the creature on his Ko-Fi account labeled Bacteria. We are definitely gonna see more from that guy later in the timeline. A little over two months later, on May 6th, 1990, another group of explorers are sent into the backrooms in the video Pitfalls. This team consists of an unnamed woman, two men named Mark and George, and Marvin Lee, now manning the camera. The party comes across a strange room with several holes in the floor and a door across the gap. One of the men carefully crosses the expanse, opens the door, and discovers a greenish glow. Instead of just saying what he sees, he calls over to Marvin to record it. Uh, Marvin, get the camera over here. Across? But as Marvin tries to cross the room, he falls into one of the holes and to a lower level of the back rooms. There, he discovers an underground neighborhood complete with trees and houses and streetlights. But things are just a little bit off here. Houses are built strangely. Signs are mirror reversed. Deep inside one of the houses, Marvin finds a room where someone's clearly been living, but whoever was there, they're gone now. When he hears a voice that's crying out, he goes to investigate only to be met with another bacteria monster. This one chasing Marvin back to the hole that he fell into. That is not a person! Thankfully, Marvin's team's able to pull him back to safety, and he escapes. The next video, Report, takes place immediately afterwards, with the team returning to Async's headquarters and sharing what Marvin found. This clearly concerns the Async staff, but because of the important upcoming presentation with the US government, they decide to just paper over the issue for the short term. A makeshift wall is constructed, sealing off the pitfalls area for the time being as they further fortify their control room. Two days later, on May 8th, 1990, we get the upload presentation, where Async hosts several government officials to pitch them a space their vision for the back rooms, an infinite storage and living solution. And they're just pitching to any old U.S. government officials. Notice the DOE watermark. These are representatives from the Department of Energy, including this guy right here who looks a lot like James Watkins, the real-world Secretary of Energy from this time period. During a video glitch back in Pitfalls, we see reverse text that reads, to deceive the FEDE, which likely extrapolates out to deceive the federal government. I'm betting that this is text of some sort of internal memo at Async, worrying about deceiving the DOE during these negotiations. Regardless of any concern, though, the presentation goes well. We see Async talking to the DOE about contracts afterwards, and one scientist confirms in a secret video that everything went according to plan. Actually, that went perfectly. We've got all the initial signatures, and the contract should be executed by next week. Except, there was something that didn't go quite according to plan that day. Remember Peter Tench, the Async researcher who glitched out and disappeared? Well, after witnessing his squad disappearing into thin air, Peter tried his best to get back to Async's headquarters without any sort of guideline. And he finds all sorts of weird stuff on his little adventure, including a section of wall removed to reveal a secret area with forest print wallpaper, farm equipment, and the facade of a house. Eventually, Peter's able to make his way back to the backroom's exit, discovering the new control room that Async built after his disappearance. He's able to open it with his keycard, but it sets off a motion sensing alarm inside, at the exact same time that Async is in contract negotiations with the DOE. We straight up see Peter in the Async control room from a security camera's perspective in the background. Just so we're all clear about what's 
exactly happening here? This is over two months after Peter disappeared. When he glitched, he actually traveled forward in time. This really throws Async's leadership for a loop. In the hidden video recording 014, we hear a phone call between an Async researcher and his supervisor Ivan Beck. Still on the same day, May 8th, 1990. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. This isn't him, As this conversation continues, the image of a newspaper fades onto screen. When reversed, this headline clearly reads, Fiery wreck beside Viney leaves one dead. Now, Viney is cut off and could refer to either a vineyard where they make wine or the town of Vineyard near Sacramento in Central California. Either way, we can gather from this headline and the tone of the conversation that Async believed Peter was dead and that after he disappeared, they covered it up by staging a car accident so Peter's family wouldn't ask any questions. And when Peter realizes what's happened, that he's traveled into the future and that his family thinks that he's dead probably doesn't react all that well to it. There was likely some conflict with Async's higher-ups, which resulted in Peter either escaping the facility back into the back rooms or Async just launched him back into the back rooms because he was a security risk. Red Bull gives you wings. One way or another, Peter winds up trapped back in the back rooms, which leads us to the next video, Reunion. It's a few weeks later, May 25th, 1990. After Marvin's encounter with the bacteria monster, Async uses a remote control rover to return to the Pitfalls room and confirm that it's safe. They send more explorers and scientists in, creating a safe walkway to the door on the other side. Of course, we still don't get to see what's behind that door. Async instead decides to send the cameraman Marvin along with Mark and another researcher to explore the area around the Pitfalls. Falls room. Now knowing that there's a dangerous creature that roams through these halls, Mark is armed with a shotgun to protect the group. Wouldn't want to be on the other end of that. You wouldn't want to be on the other end of any gun, Marvin. Yeah. That's probably true. The trio head into a new area with no ceiling lights and floors made from white concrete epoxy instead of carpets. It's here that they discover evidence that someone's been living in this area. Tiles have been knocked off of the ceiling, seemingly as a trail to follow, and a map has been etched into one of the walls. However, before the group can really speculate about what's going on, they're ambushed by someone who grabs Mark's shotgun. Peter? Mark? Marvin? It's our old friend Peter Tench once again. He's been living back here since his escape or banishment from Async. Peter laments that Async basically took his life from him, asking okay, if they sir. held a funeral for him, if his family thinks that he's dead. The group confirms that yes, they did hold a funeral. Everyone thinks he's dead. Async is clearly keeping the fact that Peter Tench is alive secret from basically everyone. Despite being held at gunpoint, Mark calls for backup only for Peter to shoot him and kill him as the video ends. At this point, we hit a pretty significant time jump with the next video video being a secret archive video compiled over a year later in June of 1991. Nothing really noteworthy happens in it, I'm just including it for completionists sake. If we want something really interesting though, we jump forward again to found footage number two, taking place on August 19th, 1995. That is over four years after the archive video and over five since the events of Reunion. In found footage number two, a girl in a suburban home discovers a small portal into the back rooms hidden in her garage. God. God, it just, it went into the- After experimenting with it for a bit, she's pulled in. Inside the back rooms, she finds strange giant furniture, a locked door that she can't open, and perhaps most strangely, a car crashed into a wall. This is clearly a car that No clipped in from the real world. Now, I originally thought that this was the car that No clipped off the freeway that we saw in a secret numbers video, but Kane confirms that it's actually a different vehicle. Given that Kane also confirmed that the numbers car wasn't Margaret Watson's car like I previously thought, that means that at least three cars have No clipped into the back 
back rooms. If I had a nickel for every time that happened, I mean, I'd have three nickels. It's not a lot, but it is weird that it's happened at least three times. Anyway, the girl follows a trail of blood from the driver of the car into an area of the back rooms that looks more residential, but she doesn't find a body. Instead, she finds a room overtaken by black vines. These aren't just any old creepy plants, it's the bacteria monster who comes to life and starts chasing the girl. She runs back through every that she's explored thus far, jumping down into a lower level that resembles indoor swimming pools. Eventually, she winds up at a dead end, but before the monster can get her, the room is engulfed in a strange green light that causes the camera to black out. All of this leads us back to the very first video that Kane uploaded in the series, found footage number one. In this video, recovered by Async on September 23rd, 1996, we see an indie movie director named Kane filming with his friends before he trips and no clips into the back rooms. After exploring around for a bit, finding weird architecture, items that are completely out of place, and markings left by previous people who no-clipped in, Kane encounters another bacteria monster. He runs away, chased by the creature before being cornered and presumably killed. As the monster takes him, his camera falls down a hole, no-clipping back out of the back rooms and into the real world. And while that's the end of the main uploads of the series, there is one final one that I should include in the timeline. The secret upload home27647.mov, which likely takes place during the early 2000s. This is just a home video with some glitchy sections and strange imagery, which I'm going to touch on in a moment. How do I know that it takes place in the aughts? Thanks to this frame right here. See that TV over on the right? This sort of flat-screen CRT television with the silver casing was popular back in the early to mid-2000s, meaning that at least part of the video was filmed around that time. So, stepping back and looking at everything laid out here, the main story follows Async's experiments, its employees, and its impact on the world. That much is obvious. But the more important story here seems to be the one that's hidden under the surface. Remember the green light that's popped up a few times over the series? It appears most prominently towards the end of the timeline in found footage number two, but remember, it was also the first thing that we see in the series chronologically right now. In Overflow, a near-identical looking green light fills whatever station we're in in the early 70s, considering that the building from Overflow shakes pretty darn violently. Similar to what we see happening in Async's headquarters during First Contact, I believe that this was some sort of portal opening at least briefly into the back rooms. And not just any type of portal either, a time portal. And given how similar it looks to what we see surrounding the girl in found footage number two, I wouldn't be surprised if she or her camera were sent back in time to the early 70s. I know this sounds crazy, but we already are aware that time acts strangely in the back rooms. One of the major events of the series is Peter slipping forward in time by several months, so we know that things can be physically transported in time in this universe. We also know that things from the future can intrude in the past. In previous theories, we've discussed how one of the secret videos showed us a cough medicine commercial from the early 2000s interrupting I'm a so Simpsons lost. episode that aired in the early 90s. That's the downside. Now here's the good part. You we can also hear a news broadcast from 2015 during the Pitfalls video, a video that happened 25 years before that broadcast ever aired. Do you think that your current president, President Castro, will come visit the United States? Taking that to its logical conclusion, something physically entering the back rooms and then exiting at some point in the past is entirely possible. Additionally, remember the name on that document from Overflow? Ivan Beck. Kane zooms in real close to make sure that we remember that one real good. Ivan Beck. Now, why does that name sound so familiar? I'm trying to get hold of my supervisor, Ivan Beck. 
Mr. Beck, may I ask where this subject came from? Yep, Ivan Beck is a high-ranking async official. I think that this girl from Found Footage 2, or at the very least her camera, made it back to the 1970s and into the hands of Ivan Beck and an early async. That could be the whole inciting incident of the series, creating some sort of time loop paradox. Async gets a hold of this footage of the back rooms, which then makes them want to explore it. They open the gateway, which breaks reality, and eventually this girl no clips in, winding up back in time, starting the loop over. This might even explain the name of the video, Overflow. Time is literally overflowing and running over the edge. What's more, during their exploration, Async may have just found themselves another time portal. The only other time that we see a greenish glow in the series is behind the door across the room in pitfalls. And get a load of this. As Marvin is falling down the hole in that video, we see a camera glitch and text hidden within that reads, quote, while data could be inferred from the re- Okay. I'm this one here, guys. Hello, Internet! Welcome to Phil- I'm so lost. So lost. But I guess we will watch the hour-ish long one next time. Just trying to get a full... Hello, Internet! Welcome yeah. to Film Theory, a show that's coming to you live from the back room. We do. We do. We got two pages of notes. So, I feel like I have some parts mapped out, but I'm still lost as hell. So, I'm going to try to find some more videos to watch over it as well. That was... Dang, I talk too much. I'm trying to figure out freaking back rooms man and i hope you all enjoyed and if you did please smash that like button and 